Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Chats with Chaudhry. I hope you're safe and well. Today, I'm continuing my Reflections and Forecast series where I'm interviewing senior executives across life science and pharma. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Julie Waris Brogan, who is the Deputy CEO and CCO for Biotech Acilia Pharma. And we're going to learn more about Acilia Pharma, but also her views on how the past 12 months has gone in the industry and her views on some of the trends going forward for this year. So, Julie, first of all, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Thank you for having me, Rizwan. Well, it's lovely to see you. And obviously, it's a, it's a good thing speaking to you today because the sun is out in London for the first time <laughs> in a week. So you've all obviously brought the sunshine with you for this interview. So it's lovely to see you anyway. Where are you calling well, you from? I, I'm in um, southern Sweden. Um, and we don't have a lot of so much sunshine here today. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, hopefully our sun will come over to you anyway. Yeah. Now, before we start talking about 2022 and your thoughts on that, for those people who are not familiar with Acilia Pharma, could you give me a quick overview of the business? Absolutely. So uh, Acilia Pharma, we are a Swedish uh, biotech company. We're, we're listed on uh, NASDAQ in uh, Stockholm. And... Uh, we are here to help patients who have rare oncology conditions. Uh, and we have two uh, products in, uh, in clinical development. And then we're small and uh, focused team in the southern Sweden. Right. Okay. Is, and, and so you said you a, a couple of products. So what are the products that you have? Yeah. So the first product um, that I think uh, that is furthest down in uh, the line in development is a contrast agent. So it's a diagnostic drug for patients with um, liver imaging needs and who have severely impaired kidney function. Right, okay. And the other compound is a well-known chemotherapy that we've been able to put into a tablet so you can take it daily. So instead of having chemotherapy in, in high doses, for example, once every three weeks, you can now have a daily exposure with this chemotherapy. We call that Onquart. Right, okay. And I... Uh... It may sound obvious based on what you just said, but what makes your technology innovative and how does it differ from other products in the marketplace? Yeah, I think I'd like to focus on um, Orbiglans, the, the contrast agent, the diagnostic drug. And, and what is different is that we are helping patients who have severely impaired kidney function. Right. So the contrast agents in the market today, they're based on gadolinium. That is a toxic heavy metal, it's been used for, for, for decades and is, it's well established. But for patients who have severely impaired kidney function, there is a risk of a very rare side effect uh, called nephrogenic systemic fibrosis, right. but it's also quite severe and potentially uh, deadly for these patients. Gadolinium is also associated with other concerns. Um, it's uh, brain deposition, bone deposition, uh, other concerns and not least the environment because it's quite toxic. But so today patients with severely impaired kidney functions are at the highest risk. So they're recommended to have uh, an MRI procedure without a contrast agent. So that will not provide the same quality of the diagnostic image for the physician to make decisions. And this is quite interesting because Im liver imaging is, is really a cornerstone in cancer care, as you, right. a lot of people uh, are, are familiar with imaging procedures, but specifically liver imaging is important because not only primary liver cancer, but many cancer types develop liver metastases. Right. 
70% of colorectal cancer patients develop liver metastases and are many other cancer types. So liver imaging is a, a common procedure in cancer care, both for uh, detecting, diagnosing um, cancer in the liver, for planning treatment, for following up on patients. So for these patients who have severely impaired kidney function, there's not really um, the same uh, access to quality care as for patients who receive a gadolinium contrast agent. And Orbiglans, our uh, contrast agent, is based on manganese and is specifically taken up by the healthy liver cells and then you not by the, the sick liver cells. And you can then have a contrast uh, image that is similar to that of gadolinium for these patients. So these are the patients we are helping with Orbiglans and there's not really a contrast agent available for them today. So we're very excited about being able to help these patients. Brilliant. And, and what stage are you with Overglance? So we are in phase three development um, and uh, we uh, plan to finish the phase three study February, March. So we are sort of, it's just around the corner. It is right. Okay. Now let's look at uh, 2022. And mm -hmm. from your perspective, how would you describe 2022 in one word and why? For a senior farmer, and I think for many in, in the industry, it has really been about focus. We were coming out of the COVID pandemic and it has impacted all industries, not least life science, not least companies in, in, in development phase. So we have had restricted access to hospitals. Procedures have gone down 50% in some hospitals in volume. Patients have been concerned, have stayed at home. So we needed really to get all those engines up and running again. And that requires a lot of focus. And that has been really throughout 22, um, our goal and also our achievement. Right, okay. Well, I was gonna talk about the achievement. So you just said that, but is there anything specific you would say from an achievement point of view, which is stood out from your perspective as a company? Yes, yes. I think again, really to have, to get these engines up and running again, the relationships with physicians, with hospitals, having patients back into standard care settings, that has really enabled us to uh, ramp up uh, and see the results of our efforts. Uh, we also had another significant achievement, which we announced at the end of the year, which was we looked at some data we have from a phase two study, which was presented at large conferences uh, previously, the RSNA including, where, and what, when we analyzed this data with the rigorous standards of the regulatory authorities, the FDA, with the same methodology, we saw that the effect of our contrast agent was two to three times higher than we actually expected before when we made our projections and plans for the clinical study. So it, it confirmed our confidence that this is a, a, a compound with, with a, a strong, we call it signal intensity, so the quality of the image, but also that it gave us confidence in our phase three study and, and not least in the commercial potential. So that is quite exciting. And, and we had a dialogue with the FDA around that and, and it enabled us to, um, to move forward with an even leaner and, and, and better phase three study. Oh, brilliant. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, you touched on it a little bit, I think, when we talked about the achievements and what you've achieved. Um, but looking back at 2022, what challenges did you see the sector as a whole 
mm. uh, facing and what developments within the sector stood out for you? Yeah. I think there, there are two angles to it. One is regardless of whether you have been in commercial mode, selling, launching, pre-launching in clinical development, access to providers, access to physicians, access to patients has been limited throughout the pandemic. Sure. And that has, of course, been a challenge that that sort of in, in into 22, it takes some time to get back in, in, into the, the sort of more normal um, processes or routines. And, and so I think that has been a challenge also for us. The other angle that has really impacted the, the industries, especially for emerging pharma, has been capital markets, uh, access to 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 uh, capital and, and so forth so i think a lot of emerging farmers have experienced that you know investors have been holding back a little bit and they now want to see these milestones and value drivers sort of ramp up after the pandemic and and so i think those two things have really impacted the, the biotech sector in in 22. that's quite interesting to say that because obviously when you look at a lot of the press which is published over the last mm -hmm. 24 months or so particularly yeah with the investment in the COVID vaccines. Uh, there was a lot of talk on new investment going into biotechs and so on. Uh, but from your perspective then, it's still been quite difficult then in terms of getting that investment coming in for non-COVID related investment. I think so, yes, I think so. And, and I think it's a, it's a dynamic, right? Because we have struggled reaching milestones, we, I mean, the industry, because of, again, limited access to, sure. to, to development, to selling, to patients. So many pharma companies have experienced some delay in, in some milestones. And, and at the same time, investors have maybe been holding back, been a bit more uh, alert to various risks. And as you said, invested in, in, in COVID. And, and now we're sort of at the back of that. Uh, and um, so, so I think it has been that dynamic, I, I agree. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but also uh, you talked about obviously getting access to providers and patients and so on so again uh particularly for clinical trials and things like that so as a company based in sweden i mean i know a lot of companies uh when they do the clinical trials do it globally with different cohorts in different regions so from your perspective the clinical trials you do are they based very much in scandinavia or are they based at wider afield as well in terms of what you do so our clinical program is global. We have right. clinical sites in the US, Europe, Latin America, um, and so a global study. And, and um, to, to that point, all countries have been impacted. But what we experienced was that it, there, there was a changing dynamic. So if, if, if uh, COVID was a, a barrier, the highest in, in Italy for a while, maybe it was easier in the US and, and at other times, um, vice versa. So, so uh, it, I think definitely it has been risk mitigating to have a global reach. Um, at the same time, of course, uh, the, our ability to interact with all these stakeholders is, is, has of course been challenged uh, by COVID, but um, definitely a good idea to have a global study. Mm -hmm. Right, okay. And, and my final question related to 2022 is, are there any areas you think the industry could have improved upon in the last 12 months? I think we're at the back of COVID again to, to, to look into what have been the implications of this limited access to care for patients. We have imaging procedures. Some of the studies I've looked at have indicated that the uh, volume has gone down 20 in some hospitals, 50%. So, 
So I think what we are going to see now is we're going or we are going to try and understand has that had a health impact? Have we diagnosed less patients? What is going to happen down the line? Um, have patients received the proper care and treatment? Uh, or or will, will we see, you know, higher mortality rates and so forth for many of these diseases? I, th I think we, we haven't been good enough at actually finding ways to diagnose and treat patients optimally during COVID. And of course, it's easy to say now at the back of it, but, but I, I think we're going to discover what an impact it has had and also delay of innovation right, that we, we, the clinical development has been delayed. Um, and and uh, that's unfortunate for, for patients and, and providers and governments right. and companies. Yeah, no, of course, across the board. Now, looking ahead to 2023, what are your predictions for the industry from a life science pharma by pharma sector I mean, for 2023? What, what are your thoughts on how things are going to develop in 2023? I think we, it will be we will be ramping up. The engines are back up and running. We can we can see it. We experience it. We see it with our peers, both in in the in our geography, but but globally, we see innovation now coming to market. Uh, and I think we're going to see more of that. Um, I hope also, and I expect that the capital markets will also be uh, opening up, be more flexible. So I'm excited about that for us and other innovators. Um, and, when, and otherwise, what I expect is also that these, what we see in, in the industry analysis is that we need to provide access to care for patients, for small patients' populations. And, and uh, so, that, so that's actually why a lot of indications now, or the, the, the most valuable launches, are for orphan indications. And have been for a little while, actually, I think, yeah, it, the orphan uh, oncology space is a large one, there are others. And um, I think we're going to continue to see that. And it will be recognized to a larger extent from, uh, from uh, all stakeholders that we need to increase this, um, you can call it health um, uh, access or, or, or parity for patients, populations that have been underserved. Right. Okay. Well, you mentioned orphan oncology, so let's talk about that a bit more depth. I mean, mm -hmm. again, as someone who's obviously in that area, how do you see developments and trends uh, for 2023 within the orphan oncology treatment area? Yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of that. Actually, I believe it, I read a study about 40% of uh, orphan drugs are within oncologies. So it's a, it's a bit popular uh, in orphan drugs. And I think what we have seen, you know, decades ago, uh, treatments improved in general, um, in, uh, drugs improved. But what we have seen the last decade was really what significantly improved health outcomes was that we were able to tailor sort of individualized, personalized treatment to each patient. Cancer is, is many things. And what we have seen is really that to personalize and individualize treatment, that has proven to really increase outcomes for patients. And I think we're going to see more of that. I think we're going to recognize that it does take collaboration between um, the industry, between providers and between governments to, to also speed that development up. Um, I think we're going to recognize that, that uh, we can 
we can be better at 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 getting to market more quicker for, and helping these patients. I think we're going to continue to see that. Another angle to that is if we look at just what is expected to come out of the FDA's approvals, the most valuable drugs in the industry, we call it blockbuster drugs, the ones that reach above a billion dollars. Um, A a, a study is suggested that around 50% of the expected blockbusters the next five years come from what we call emerging farmers. So emerging farmers, not the big farmers, but the ones that are doing this potentially for the first time and who are also going all the way to market and to patients for the first time on their own. This is exciting for for Acelia Pharma um, and and the industry and for patients, but it's it's exciting because it's it's possible to launch and, and develop a product in a focused manner. So it, it enables all the, the, the drugs that may not be on the radar of big farmers to actually be accessible to patients in the future. So I think that's a dynamic from, from the big pharma lead to actually emerging pharma uh, being potentially the most dynamic and the one coming out with most compounds. Right. That's really interesting. Well, that leads on beautifully to my next question, which is to talk specifically about Acilia in 2023 yeah. and beyond. So as a biotech, you know, you've got a developing portfolio. So what are your focus, not just for this year, but looking ahead for the mm-hmm. next two, three years? Yeah. So for this year, the first thing is we're wrapping up with the last patient for our phase three study for overglance. What comes after that is, of course, um, preparing the readout. We need to see the data. Um, we have really solid phase one and phase two data. So we're fortunate that we, we are sort of, we, we sleep well at night. <laughs> we need to get to that milestone that's expected to be uh, mid-year uh, this year. And then what we're doing in parallel and after that is then prepare for the FDA submission and then prepare for a launch. And our strategy is to launch on our own in the US. So US, by far the largest potential in terms of uh, single market, in terms of uh, value. So again, back to the emerging pharma trends, this is a focused launch. Um, we are already working with a lot of the key stakeholders and, and we are then preparing uh, to launch on our own. So that that uh, that is for, um, for Overglance. Then for the other compound, we are ready for phase two and, and we'll be initiating that when we're sort of uh, ready from an organizational perspective with Orbiglans to to um, to uh, sort of ramp up on on the, the Oncoral phase two development, and then looking ahead, as you ask, our plan is to then also add other compounds to the portfolio, right, and then being able to uh, to generate our first revenue uh, when we launch uh, Orbiglans a couple of years from now, right now. You mentioned collaboration a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the future, what partnerships and collaborations would be ideal for you as a business to help advance your company's growth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think we have experienced across the value chain, let's call it that, in, in the industry that, that oftentimes other organizations are very good at being focused um, at a certain capability, so to say. So these emerging farmers launching for the first time are possible because we 
don't need to develop all services. Sure. We don't need to drive the product to the hospitals ourselves. <laughs> there will be a partner who will be better at that. Um, there will be partners who will be better at understanding how to uh, collect money from governments, how to report various things, how to, uh, con- of course, manufacture. So I think across the value chain, we, we will have the, at the certain third parties manufacturing distribution so far. And I think that's a strength of the industry. It gives us, uh, um, you could say, the option of developing the capability ourselves because we believe it's value adding for another pipeline product. Or to work with a partner who will have synergies. So one area is actually when we look at the European market, other markets in the world for all the clients, we, we actually believe that it makes sense to find a partner with existing capabilities and relationships and who will then help us provide the best access for patients and then the best value for Celia um, by working together. So we're so commercialization partners. Also in, in research and development, we already... Um, have uh, some collaboration established with a big farmer for uh, um, for Ankara. Um, so I think we will see more development in the clinical uh, innovation space. And uh, then I think from a from a, a development or launch perspective, we will of course work with physicians, KOLs, uh, patient organizations who support uh, patients with. Uh, impaired kidney function, who support oncology patients. I, I think the industry has realized that we need the patient voice at the table, both with payers and with regulatory authorities, even when we design clinical studies. So I think that's certainly a perspective that we would like to bring in as well. And then of course, on the capital market side, investors, analysts, uh, other companies uh, <laughs> sure. who are interested in, in uh, in being part of this uh, emerging pharma orphan oncology space. Brilliant. Um, so finally, as we are at the beginning of 2023, so I ask everybody the same question. What are your last thoughts? What would you like to leave viewers with for 2023? Mm. I'd say uh, w- one word I would call it value. I feel like we have worked on the engines, again, back up and running, the focus. Now we're going to see the, the, the fruits of our work and, and to really see these milestones that were ahead of us. Now that it's all squeezed in, and we, we can see them um, almost right in front of us. So I, I really think both for us and for the industry, we will see the value of our efforts in, in innovation uh, for patients and physicians. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you very much for taking time out to talk to, to, to me today. It's been really interesting learning more about Asilia Pharma, but also your views from a biotech in terms of how you see the industry moving forward as well. So uh, there you go, viewers. I hope you found that interesting. I certainly Absolutely. Did. If you'd like to know more uh, about Asilia Pharma and the various things that they're doing at this moment in time and their plans for the future as well, then I'm sure Julie will be only delighted for you want to leave comments below the video we should be more than happy to answer but also you can get in touch with her directly to speak to her if you've got any questions or in fact you might be interested in collaborating or partnership i'm sure julie would be happy to hear that as well uh, so julie thank you very much for taking time to talk to me i wish you lots of success with the upcoming trial i hope it goes fantastically well the results uh, and i wish you a fantastic successful happy and healthy 2023 to you and everybody <laughs> as senior farmer and Likewise. And same to you viewers as well. I wish you a fantastic 2023 as well. Uh, happy and healthy. Um, and if 
you have got any questions to say, please feel free to get in touch with Julie or leave them below the video in the comments. And until next time, as always, stay well and stay safe. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye.